Jonah. I think we're going to finish this book tonight. Again, the book of Jonah, a minor prophet book near the end of the Old Testament. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. So Jonah is right in there. If you get to Micah, you've gone too far. Jonah chapter 1 is where I'd like to start. And really, having already preached 13 messages from Jonah, there's just a couple of things that I just feel like visiting one last time before we get on to another book. And so if you'd follow as I read Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Again, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. If you'd follow as I read, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Let's have a word of prayer. Again, Lord, we're thankful for each one that's here. I know that some of our regular folk are away. I pray that you minister them where they're at. We thank you for each one that's come. Thank you, Lord, for those that make it priority in the middle of the week to be in the house of God. And I pray you'd help us yet one more time as we look into the book of Jonah. Lord, would you teach us something that could help us this week? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, the book of Jonah is familiar. We know in chapter number one, God called this prophet. And he called this prophet to go northeast to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria would have been an enemy nation to Israel. And when God called Jonah to go there, Jonah didn't want to go. And so the Bible says, instead of him heading northeast, he traveled west. We know that he went down to the port, found the first ship heading out of the port, and he got on that ship. I'm sure he convinced himself that God wouldn't be able to find him. Isn't it strange how you'd expect the world to think that? But this is a prophet. He thinks he can run from God. And so uh, God knows where he's at. God knows his number, and God sends a great fish. It says in Jonah 1, verse 17, we're told there in Matthew 12 that it was a whale. And so God sends this great fish to swallow up Jonah. That's chapter 1. Chapter number 2, Jonah is in that whale the whole chapter. And uh, he recognizes the foolish decisions that he's made. And he begins to cry out to God that God would somehow mysteriously deliver him because God saw a change in Jonah's heart. God did answer that request. Look there in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. So chapter 2, Jonah's not right, but he gets right. He's back on dry land. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it. So it's almost identical to the commission given in chapter 1. And all of that time between chapter 1 and chapter 3 is wasted time. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But uh, from the time that God tells you and I to do something, until the time that we actually go and do that something, it's just wasted time. And again, we'll look at that in a few minutes. So that's chapter number 3. So Jonah does go into Nineveh. He begins to preach. It's a huge city. And uh, from the king on the throne all the way to the poorest in the kingdom, all of them in Nineveh got right. What an amazing thing that was. That's probably the greatest revival that's recorded in all of the scriptures. 
Uh, by the time we get to chapter 4, we would think that Jonah's buttons would be popping. God used Jonah to bring that kind of a transformation in an entire city. And yet, look there in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. What was he angry at? He was angry that God would have grace for them. Now, he was sure happy God had grace for him, but he was unhappy that God had grace for them. And folks, really what we want for ourselves, what we want for our children, our family, we ought to also want that for somebody else. And so he kind of had a two-tiered interest in how God worked in people's lives. Preacher, what are we looking at tonight? Again, there was just about three or four subjects that I never got to hit. We skipped over them for lack of time. So I'd like to look at, and I'm calling this uh, what we learned from Jonah. I'm sure we learned a whole lot more. But let's start there again in Jonah chapter 1. So my title, if you're taking notes, what we learned from Jonah. Uh, first one again, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Look at the very first part of verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Do you know God had a job for Jonah to do? I think God has a job for all of us to do. I think if you are a part of a Bible-believing church, it's not just to warm a pew. I think God has a task. Now, certainly, the task God had for this prophet was a bigger magnitude. I'll agree with that. But I think God has a task for anybody. I don't think that you have a license to sit back and watch everybody else serve you. I think that you ought to find what God wants you to do. And so God had a task for Jonah to do, but Jonah didn't want to do it. And so Jonah decided he'd excuse himself from obeying God by running away. Look there again in verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He's running. And so the very first thing that we learn from Jonah is we can't run away from God. We can't run away from God. Do you know if God has called your number, if God has dialed your heart, if God has given you a command that he wants you to do, say, preacher, I don't want to do that. Pastor, I don't want to be a part of that. Pastor, that's an overwhelming task. I'm not even interested in that. That's really secondary to the fact if God has called you to do something, you are never going to be able to run to a place where you're totally away from God. God knows where you're at. He knows where you're hiding. Now, what does he do? Of course, he goes down to the port, goes down to the harbor. He gets himself on a ship. Not only does he get on the ship, but the Bible says that, uh, look there in the last part of verse 3, Bible says, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it. Uh, not only does it say that, but look there in verse number five, uh, middle of the verse, but Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship. Uh, do you know that uh, Jonah thought, I can hide from God if I just run fast enough? I said this before, you could get on the fastest plane or the fastest train or the fastest boat or the fastest whatever, and by the time you get to your destination and get out, God is already there. He had convinced himself that he could get away and that that would be okay. 
and God wouldn't know. God knew where he was. God knows where you are. God knows where I am. Of course, Jonah, instead of traveling northeast, he decided that he'd travel west. And it's kind of humorous if you read commentaries. And as a pastor, I read commentaries. I just want to see what uh, other thoughts other preachers have. You'd be surprised how many have said that Jonah wasn't really running from God. You say, Pastor, that's crazy. Well, they've said that. They said Jonah wasn't really running from God. What they're saying is he just had other things to do first. Folks, he's running from God. And if you had other things in your life that you wanted to do first, this is the time to set those things aside. God has called you to a task. Now, in response to these commentators that think that he wasn't running from God, look at chapter 1, verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That's why he's running. He's trying to get away from the presence of God. Look there at the very end of verse number 3. It says, from the presence of the Lord. And then, if that wasn't enough that uh, the Bible says that, and we believe that Jonah wrote this, Jonah knew that he was running from God. But look there in verse number 10. It talks about the sailors on that ship. Then were the men exceeding afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And so that's exactly why he's running. Preacher, why is it that some Christians are doing what some Christians do? They're just running from God. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a call. But they're not interested in that. If Jonah had not been a believer, we might excuse foolish thinking. We might excuse him thinking, I can get away from God. Uh, if Jonah had been a brand new believer, maybe we could excuse it by he just doesn't understand God yet. But you know, uh, we believe that God is everywhere. Uh, the big word for that is omnipresence. Omni is all. Presence is present. And so God is everywhere present. David wrote Psalm 139, verse 7 and 10. Incidentally, when David wrote this, it was 150 years before Jonah was running from God. David wrote Psalm 139, verse 7 to 10, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? He's talking about God. And whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Now, you can put yourself in a position where you can't see God. And many a Christian has made just a string of bad decisions where they don't know where God is in their life. But even if you can't see where God is, God can always see where you are. Now, some of us have little children. Some of us have grandchildren. Um, maybe some great-grandchildren, I'm not sure. But have you ever had a little child do this and say, Daddy, you can't see me? Well, they can't see you. You can see them, and you kind of chuckle because you can see their whole body with their hands in front of their face. That child can't see you, but you can see them. 
Jonah thought that he could get up to a place where God wouldn't be able to see him. Truth is, Jonah got himself to a place where he could no longer see God, but God could still see him. And so I say the very first uh, thing that we learn from Jonah is that we can't run away from God. Uh, before I get to the second one, I want you to notice just a couple of words that describes when somebody is trying to run away from God. I'm not saying that you are, and I'm certainly hoping I'm not, but when someone is running away from God, there's a couple of key words that jump out that would describe that kind of person. The very first one, look there in chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down. And you've heard me preach this before, but from the moment that you and I decide that we are going to run from what God is asking us to do, the very first word is your spiritual life begins to go down. Now, I know it says down to Joppa, and I know that that's a geographic altitude from where he was to where Joppa, Joppa was a city on the shoreline. I understand that. But in type, it's a picture that when we say, God, I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do, you have begun a journey that's taking you down. Uh, we not only see that there in uh, verse number three, but look at the last part of verse three. It says, uh, so we paid the fare thereof and went down into it. So he not only went down to the ship, but he went down inside that ship Again, the last part of verse number five, but Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship. Uh, then look there in verse 15. It doesn't specifically use the word, but it gives the same picture. I hear Jonah's with all those men on the ship. It's being tossed about, verse 15. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. So he went down into the water. So first he went down to Joppa, then he went down into the ship, then he was cast down into the water. Look at the next thing, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So now he is down in the belly of the whale. And if that's not far enough, look there in chapter 2 and verse 6. Chapter 2 and verse 6, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. Now, he's talking about that, he's talking about that, uh, that base, if you would, at the bottom of this Mediterranean Sea. He said, I went, I went further down. You would think one down would be sufficient. This is, if I count right, six successive downs. And you say, Pastor, it couldn't get any worse than that. It didn't even have to have one down. I'm saying that when I, when you, when your loved one decides, God, I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do, the word down describes their spiritual life. Uh, there's a second word I'd have you notice there again in chapter 1 and verse 3. Chapter 1 and verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to uh, Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof. The second set of words is he paid. He paid. So he's going down, down, down. No, he's not going God's way. If you are going God's way, God pays. I've said this before, where God's finger points, God's hand provides. 
So if you are following the call of God, the commission of God, the assignment of God, the ministry of God, God will provide everything that you need. God pays. You say, well, Pastor, I, I, you, you've asked whether I could. Preacher, you're wanting to know if I'm in. Preacher, I'm just not qualified. God will give you all the help that you need. God will give you all the gray matter. God will give you all the patience. I'm saying where God's finger points, God's hand provides. But Jonah's not going God's way. So Jonah, as the world would say, is paying through his nose. He is paying, he's paying. He started by paying for the fare to get on that ship. Well, he's soon in no time, he's cast overboard, he's into this whale. We don't have any idea what Jonah looked like when he came out of that whale, but he paid not only financially, but he paid physically. And he paid all kinds of ways. I say the first word to describe somebody that's not following God is they're going down. Second set of words to describe somebody that's not following God is he paid. And Jonah is endlessly paying. There's a third word. Look at chapter 1, verse 4. But the Lord. But the Lord. Those are great words. At this moment, Jonah has no interest in God. But you know, at this moment, God has great interest in Jonah. And isn't it a good thing when we kind of lose sight of God? God hasn't lost sight of us. And here, God begins to turn the circumstances of Jonah's life to get his attention. I'm saying, but the Lord, and we know that it says there in verse number four, God sent a great wind. Uh, we know chapter 117, God prepared a great fish. And we looked at that. God will not give up trying to get our attention. I uh, give you a fourth uh, set of words, if you would. Again, the first one's down. The second one, he paid. Third, but the Lord. The fourth, I don't have a verse for you. Uh, but the fourth set of words is wasted time. I can't find a verse for it. So this would be Carlsonology. Do you know we're given no time concept in this entire book? We, we know that he was in the whale three days and three nights. We know that when he finally got to Nineveh, he went into that city, city one day's worth. We know that he preached in 40 days, God is going to judge. So, so that's the only time factor in the entire book. Three days and three nights, 40 days of judgment. But you know, there's a lot of time in this book that we don't know. Uh, for instance, uh, back there in chapter 1 and verse 3, uh, when God had told him to go to Nineveh, chapter 1, verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish, we don't know how long it took him to get to Joppa. It could have been days. We don't know from the time he got on that ship how, how many days they were on that ship before finally Jonah was thrown overboard. Uh, when uh, finally that whale swallowed him, we do know it's three days before he was spit uh, back on shore. But we again in chapter number three, look there in verse three. Chapter three and verse three, so Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. It, we don't know from that shoreline until he got to Nineveh. I've, I, again, I, I read a lot of books and, and some say it would take 
two weeks to make that trip. Some say it would take, I don't know, even if it was two days, I, don't, I think it was longer than that. Do you know we're not given any of that time because all of that is wasted time. And do you know from the time, from the moment that I in my heart or you in your heart say, God, no, from that moment you are on a giant spiritual detour and it's all wasted time. So again, we're trying to quickly cover four things if we could. The first one is you can't run away from God. Do you know Jonah wasn't the only one that ran from God? I think Moses at 40, Moses thought, I'm going to deliver Israel. It didn't work. I think Moses got so upset at God that he fled. And that is the word he ran, he fled. He fled to Midian and he was there for 40 years. If you look in that passage in Exodus 2, there is no mention of Moses trying to talk to God, have felt, I think he's mad at God. I think that he got just as far away as he could. And that's why we read there in Exodus 3 that he went to the backside of the desert. Well, if I get to the backside, God will never find me. And lo and behold, when he's back there, he sees this burning bush. God is already back there. First thing that we learn about Jonah is we can't run away from God. I give a second thing back there to Jonah 1 verse 3. Jonah 1 and verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Notice that statement. He found a ship. Could I say that when God told Jonah that Jonah was going to preach to Nineveh and he used to preach to them, but Jonah said, no, I'm not going to do that, God. I have no interest in doing that. Uh, it's nowhere recorded whether Jonah told anyone else. Uh, I think he gave kind of some hints there to the man on the ship. Uh, but uh, I think Jonah somehow had to convince himself that it was okay. He goes, how do you convince yourself that it's okay to go entirely the different... How do you do that? I'll tell you how you do it because I've heard it said over these last few years. If there's a ship at Joppa, then I'll know it's the will of God. Question. If there were a hundred ships at Joppa, would it have been the will of God? No. God already said, I want you to go to Nineveh. So all this business of if it's the will of God, then you are making all of that up because that is contrary to what God has already said. And so I think that when he got down there to uh, that port at Joppa, and he said, Lord, if I find a ship and, and I can board that ship, then it's got to be your will. How do you convince yourself of that? Because what else are you going to find at a port but ships? And so he goes down there to that, and he sees some ships. Oh, Lord, you've got to be in it. You must be in it. Look at all these ships. So he walks up to the captain of one ship. He says, any chance I can catch your eye? He said, oh, no, we're doing repairs for the next two weeks. Oh. So Jonah goes up to the next ship. 
Any chance I can catch right? Which way are you going? He said, we're not going anywhere. We've got to unload this cargo. We'll be here for, for sure another 10 days. Oh, well, Jonah, what's the hurry? You're trying to tell everybody this is God's will. What is the hurry for you to get out of this port so quick? Goes up to a third ship, and he says to the captain on the third ship, any chance you're heading out? He said, you know what? We just parked this thing. We have left our men have a two-week leave. We're not going anywhere. I know that we read that verse 3 very quickly, but it says he found a ship. You know, normally you say you found something when you've been looking for it. The Bible says, seek and you shall find. I think one ship after another after another, he came to the conclusion, I am in trouble. I cannot find a ship to get me away from God until he found one. And he convinced the captain to take him, though he had to pay for it himself. And he convinced himself that because he found a ship, that God was in it. Could you write the second thing down, whatever you happen to be writing on? We dare not confuse favorable circumstances with God's will. We dare not confuse favorable circumstances with God's will. He convinced himself it's got to be God's will. I found a ship. God's will was already clear. God made his will very clear. Uh, and, and, and honestly, if he had said, if I find a ship going west, you'd have to know a little bit of geography, but the Mediterranean Sea, Joppa is at the shoreline. Every ship would go west. Sometimes we lay out fleece that's so redundant. There weren't any ships going east because that was just land. I'm saying to you that he laid this thing out, and lo and behold, he found a ship, which suggests he might have had a hunt to get that thing. Let me give some variations of this, where somebody was convinced that favorable circumstances proved it's God's will. Pastor, if I ask that girl to marry me, and she says yes, then it must be God's will. I'll flip it around. Uh, young lady, if that young man asks me to marry him, then it must be God's will. No, not at all. If he's not saved, it couldn't be God's will. If he's not living for God, it couldn't be God's will. If he's not in church, loves the Lord, it couldn't be God's will. If you haven't sat down and talked to your parents, it's not God's will yet. There is a lot of hurdles that have to be taken care of. You can't assume, well, somebody asked me to marry them, so it's got to be. No, those are what's called favorable circumstances that the devil wants to use to confuse you with God's will. Uh, let me give you another example. I'll say, Pastor, if I get a job at that business and it pays twice as much, it must be God's will for me to work. No, it's not God's will for Christians to work everywhere. Not if it's a marijuana joint. So it pays twice as much. It doesn't matter what it pays. If it's a bar, if it's a liquor store, if the business makes their profit by corrupt means, but that's where somebody says that there are favorable circumstances. It's got to be God's will. 
No. Pastor, if I sell this car, I know it's God's will to buy a Corvette. That doesn't mean it's God's will to buy a Corvette. It might mean God uh, just doesn't want you to keep the car that you have. A preacher, if I sell my house, it's got to be God's will to move. Pastor, if I'm treated well at that new church, it's got to be God's will that I move to that church. Pastor, if I can make twice as much money there as I make here, it's got to be God's will that I change jobs. I'm saying you are confused. Uh, confused. You are confusing favorable circumstances with God's will. I, I, I am trying to hurry, believe me. I always worry that I'll never have enough. Shame on me. Uh, you remember the Apostle Paul? He was arrested about Acts 22. He stood then before Felix, a governor, before the next governor, Festus, before King Agrippa, Finally, in Acts chapter 27, he boards a ship. I think it was Caesarea. He boards a ship, and that ship is headed toward Rome because he has to stand before Caesar. So what do they do? If you know your geography well, as they leave Caesarea, the first island that they came is Cyprus. And things look pretty good. The weather seemed to be holding on, so they left from Cyprus. They went to the next island in the Mediterranean called Crete. And when they got to one side of that island of Crete, it was looking dangerous. It was looking like it was too late in the year for them to travel all the way to Rome. And they're, they're in a dilemma. Paul steps forward. Now, Paul's in touch with God. Paul steps forward and said, I perceive, and he gives him a warning. You would be better to wait here until winter is past. And they look at Paul. What does he know? He's a preacher. Look at him. Everything he owns, he has in a bag. What could he possibly know about shipping? He probably doesn't know anything about shipping, but he does know God, which is more than they could say about the captain of the ship. So when they're there at that second island of Crete, they're, they're batting back and forth this idea that maybe it still is not too late for us to travel to Rome. And you know, when you get there to Acts, uh, keep your hand in Jonah. If, if you've got a moment, turn there to Acts 27. It's very interesting how the wording of this verse is. Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter number 27. Look there in verse number 12. Acts 27, 12, and because the haven was not commodious. It, it wasn't convenient to winter in. The more part advised to depart thence also. If by any means they might attain to Phoenicia and there to winter, which is a haven of Crete that lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, stop right there. They're deciding, is it too late in the year? Is it getting too close to winter? What are we going to do? How are we going to decide this? Look again at verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, that's favorable circumstances for shipping. Look what it says. Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. 
Do you know what they thought? Because it was favorable circumstances that it was safe, that it had to be God. And yet, you know, look there in the very next verse, verse 14. But not long after, and that's always what happens. Folks, if you decide on God's will because of favorable circumstances, they might not be favorable too long. Daniel didn't wait till favorable circumstances to obey God. He just opened those windows and prayed three times a day. Didn't sound too favorable. He trusted the will of God. I give you a third thing back there to Jonah. Jonah. So we've seen you can't run away from God. And we've seen you dare not confuse favorable circumstances with God's will. I give you a third thing. Look there in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Question. I need you to talk to me out loud. What's he very angry about? All oh, those people got saved, and God decided to show them mercy and grace. He's angry at God. And yet, look there in chapter 4 and verse 6. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grave. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. Could I say third, it's telling where our greatest contentments lie. It's telling where our greatest contentments lie. He was so pleased with the gourd that could bring him some shade from the beating sun. But he was angry at God for sparing all of those souls. And how easy, folks, I'm talking about me, just like you. How easy is it for us to be content with the temporal things of this world and forget that God has a higher priority on the eternal things of the next world do you know, in the whale that God created, we see the great disasters that come from disobedience. In the worm that finally destroyed this gourd, we see how very little it takes to destroy our comforts. Uh, if it only took a little worm to destroy his happiness, his happiness wasn't very stable. I wonder, what brings you the greatest joy? Is it spiritual victories? Is it secular victories? I say the third thing, it's telling where our greatest contentments lie. Do you know, I, I thought about this, and, and I don't have any scripture for this. That doesn't stop a preacher. You, you remember when Jesus healed ten lepers? I remember that. How many of those lepers came back to thank the Lord? One. So one out of ten, if we can do some math, ten percent. Only one out of ten, but we're glad that at least one out of ten hunted down the Lord and came and said thank you. Could you imagine if that same percentage of the Ninevites that were just spared from the judgment of God had come to Jonah? Oh, where would they have found him? On the hill. Under this little booth that he built. And he's just... I wonder what they would have thought. This is the guy that God used to save our whole city. What is wrong with this man? Folks, the world is watching. 
not just when you're ministering for God, but when you're not ministering for God. This world watches as you mow your lawn, as you talk to your children, as you talk to the postman, as the meter reader comes and it's not... It, it, the world is watching all that stuff. I've got to be... If one out of ten lepers came to thank the Lord, I've got to believe that at least one out of a million Ninevites hunted out where Jonah was to thank him. And maybe they stopped 30 feet away as Jonah's just complaining under his breath. What does the world see? I, I say third... It's telling where our greatest contentments lie. I give you the last thing, and you don't need Jonah for this. Look there in 2 Kings. 2 Kings would be earlier in the Old Testament. 2 Kings 14. Uh, we do find Jonah's name in the book of Joshua. We do find the name Jonah in the New Testament, uh, though it's spelled Jonas, J-O-N-A-S. But you know the other place that we find Jonah's name is 2 Kings 14. Now, if you have dates in your Bible, and I'm sorry, if you have a date in your Bible, I need you to keep your hand back in Jonah so you can give me the date. But 2 Kings chapter number 14, and look there in verse 23. 2 Kings 14 and verse 23. The Bible says, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and reigned forty and one years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah. Jonah is mentioned in Second Kings. Now, anyone got a date for the book of Jonah? I'll give it to you, 862, 862, keep that in mind. If you're taking notes, write it down, 862. Do you know after the book of Jonah ended with a question mark, and of course, uh, Pastor Lake preached on that at the camp meeting, don't let your life end with a question mark, where people wonder how it's going to end. Well, between 862, the book of Jonah, the next time that we find Jonah's name mentioned is 2 Kings 14, and that's 826. 826. Do you know that that's 36 years? 36 years of no comment on Jonah's life. 36 years with an absence of what that man did. I know that some have said that reference in verse number 25 talks about 10 years earlier. If we give credit for that statement, I don't know that it can. That would make it 836 B.C. That's 26 years. Oh, what I'm trying to say is there's either 26 years or 36 years from the end of Jonah where we don't know what's ever going to happen to that man that's mad at God until Jonah's name is mentioned again. His silence was reason for Israel's disaster. If you check all the cross-references in that period, there was no preacher, there was no prophet that was lifting up his voice trying to turn God's people back to God. Even if Jonah could convince you and I 
I believe that God wanted me to be a preacher in Israel. I don't think that I was supposed to be a preacher. We, we, we wouldn't buy that, but even if we did, Jonah, what did you do in the next 26 years after Jonah closed? You could have gone back to Israel. You could have tried to help them get right with God. I give you the last thing. Write this down and we'll be done. The complete report is not obvious until after. The complete report is not obvious until after. How quick it and how easy it is for us to make summaries of someone's life, us to make summaries of someone's ministry, for us to make summaries of someone's achievements for God. Do you know the full record won't be tallied till after? And again, in the book of Jonah, Jonah's life really ended on a sour note. I'm glad that 36 years later, that he finally opened up his mouth and began to preach in Israel. But what about all those 36 years? Folks, what you do for God is important. It's very important. He said, Preacher, I don't, I don't have anything that I'm doing for God. You need to find something. I think that God has a task for everyone that's in a local church. He said, Preacher, mine wouldn't be that important because I'm not important. Everyone in the family of God is important. When you get there to Ephesians 4, it talks about the gifts that the Spirit has given believers. And it talks about those believers using those gifts to edify the body of Christ. Now, if you're not doing that, somebody is hurting by your silence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Jonah. Lord, we looked at it now for 14 weeks. Are we reminded tonight that we can't run away from God. If God's talked to us, if God's commissioned us, God's ordered us, commanded us to do something, it doesn't matter where we try to run. We'll never run away from God. But while we try to run, we'll just be going down, down, down. We'll be paying the fare thereof. Lord, we were also reminded tonight that we dare not confuse favorable circumstances with the will of God. If God has made his will clear, all the circumstances can be against it. But God's will is still God's will. Lord, we have been reminded tonight that uh, where our Greatest contentment is, that's what's telling. It, it, whether we're more thrilled about the things of this world or the things of God, then, Lord, the final record, it won't be known until after. And I pray you'd help your people just to be faithful. Do what they can for the Lord. Find something they can do for the Lord. Help us, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray.